And uh, good morning. I guess I kind of say, welcome to uh, Philippi. Okay, that fell really flat. W- w- welcome to Faith E Church. And in case, yeah, there we go. In case we haven't met, hi, my name is Paul. Ah, there, there it is. Thank you for that. And once again, welcome to our church family joining online. And if this is your first weekend with us here at Faith E, if you're a guest uh, visiting today, I want to extend a warm welcome and just say, we're so glad you're here. Today we begin a new sermon series. We're working through a book of the Bible called Philippians, hence some of the decorations that you saw on your way in. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit. Because first, it was July 14th, 1861, that one of the most famous Civil War letters that we have in our possession today was penned. Really, it was a a love letter, I think you could say. A love letter written by Major Sullivan Ballou. And speaking of love, guys, I realized this this morning. Fellas, we're three days out from Valentine's Day, so put that in your phone. That's a little freebie for me right now. But Major Sullivan Ballou, thinking that his time on earth may be short, just a few more days to live, he decided to write a letter, a love letter to his wife, Sarah. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a few lines from it, including the beginning and the end, and here's what he had to say. My very dear wife, indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write to you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. Not my will, but thine, O God, be done. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you, nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Tell my two mothers I call God's blessing upon them, O Sarah, I wait for you there. Come to me and lead thither my children, Solomon. It would be about a week later that Major Solomon Ballou succumbed to the injuries that he sustained in the Battle of Bull Run, and at the age of 32, he passed away. After his death, his wife would eventually receive this letter. And I have to wonder, how did she feel? What kind of emotions ran through her when she received this letter from her husband? What was she thinking? I wonder, how often did she read it? I bet she kept it in a prominent place and read it often. And I bet it served as a reminder of her husband's love for her. I bet she was strengthened, maybe encouraged by it. And I bet in it, she had the reminder from her husband to keep looking up. To keep looking up no matter how difficult life may become. You know, I wonder, I wonder how the church in Philippi felt. What emotions ran through them when they received a letter from their beloved Apostle Paul, written to them by a by a place where he was at and inside of a Roman prison cell. He wrote the letter on some parchment paper, papyrus paper, and it would have taken the letter four to seven weeks just to travel from that Roman prison cell to Philippi, so them receiving it was a big deal. I bet, I bet they were encouraged. I bet they kept it in a prominent place and read it often because in it, really, Paul challenges them to keep looking up. It's a reminder to them to keep their eyes fixed on Christ Jesus no matter how difficult things may get. It's a reminder for all of us, too. It's a reminder we all need. 
And so today we begin the study of that letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, a letter that we call Philippians. So if you would, open your scripture journals to page seven. If you didn't receive a scripture journal, we've got a few left, raise your hand. We've got people running around, be happy to give you one. If you got one last week and you left it at home, just use a Bible if you would in front of you. But Lonnie, a couple others are passing those out. But these scripture journals are free. They're our gift to you as we study Philippians. That way you can use this throughout the week, make notes in it, bring it each Sunday. That would be good. Keep your hand up. They're running around. They'll give out what they've got left. That's great. You also can turn there in your Bible. I always encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Philippians is the 11th book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Today, like I said, we'll be on page seven. We're just looking at the first two verses in chapter one. Philippians one, one and two. So if you would, I think we got the verses on the screen. Would you follow along as I, as I read from God's true word? This letter written by the apostle Paul but inspired through the Holy Spirit. Here's what God's true word says for us today. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we pray for your grace, that we experience it in a fresh way through your word and your spirit today. That's all we need. We're your people. We come here desperate to hear a word from you. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Jesus, this is your church. You're the head. You're the king. And what a king you are. We love you. And it's in your mighty name we pray. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. That was good. I'd be curious how often that thing's gonna be going off. I'm good with having some fun. I think you guys know that. Uh, It's certainly one of our values here at Faithy Church. You know, I mentioned that obviously Philippians is a letter. But you know, I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but the Bible, this important book, God's very breath is really a letter. It's a love letter written through God's spirit to people, to us. It's a letter about how much God loves people, how much he loves us, and that he created people in his image to be in relationship with him. Out of his love, that's what he did. Yet because of our pride and rebellious sinful ways we rebelled against God's plan and broke that relationship yet God in his love he redeemed that by sending his one and only son Jesus Christ to die for people die for us to redeem us and he did so we can be redeemed and that relationship is too the Bible's about the fact that Jesus is coming back and when he does, he's gonna restore all things unto himself. He's gonna restore all things back to the way they're supposed to be from the beginning. That's the narrative of the Bible. It's the love story from God to us. 
And the more time we spend in it, the more we learn about him and his great love towards people, towards us, and it transforms us. That's why one of our values here at Faith E Church is the word of God. We teach from it every Sunday, obviously doing that today, and we encourage you to be in the scriptures on your own throughout the week. When you spend at least four days in God's word on your own, each week, that's where transformation happens. Studying it, meditating it, on it, memorizing it. And one of the ways to study God's word is a method using the OIA Bible study method. And if you're new with us and you're not familiar with that, that's okay. Because we'll talk about that briefly now. The O stands for observation, the I is interpretation, and the A is application. And to help with this, if you go to pages one and two in your scripture journals, it gives you helps on how to do OIA so you can do that on your own throughout the week. And we're going to practice that every Sunday, including today. But before we do any observations, I want to build just a little bit of context around what we're studying. Starting with the city of Philippi, because Philippi was strategically located along a Roman road system called the Ignatian Way. Did you notice the little rock pathway carpet when you came in today? That's used to symbolize the Ignatian Way, a very important trade route, and Philippi was situated along that. In addition to that, Philippi, the, the very ground that it sat on was, was fertile, very rich, and produced well. The hills around Philippi were also full of gold. The place was a prosperous city, and on top of all of that, it even had a Roman designation, which was very rare for cities outside of Italy. So it experienced all the benefits that came alongside that designation. They considered it kind of a Rome away from Rome. And archaeological digs have confirmed that. They found two city gates that led into Philippi with Roman columns all around, kind of like the columns that you saw when you came in to the worship center doors today. And if you were with us, that Saul of Tarsus series that we wrapped up last week, you know that really Philippi is the very first church in Europe that the Apostle Paul planted during his second missionary journey. Started in a wealthy businesswoman's home. Her name was Lydia. God opened her heart to the gospel. She became a Christian. She opened her home and it became a church. Some of the founding members or participants, people that were part of that church, of course, was Lydia. And along with a jailer, a prison guard who watched over Paul and Silas while they sat for a night in a prison in Philippi. The, the jailer and his family became Christians, part of that church too, along with a young slave girl who had been demon-possessed. But Paul cast the demon out of her by commanding the demon come out of her in the name of Jesus. And the demon listened, why? Because there's power, there's power, there's power in the name of Jesus. That's what we wrapped up with last week. And that's the start of the church in Philippi. So Paul's now writing this letter to some of those people. But now 10 years have passed as he writes this letter. 10 years have gone by since Acts 16. And scholars aren't sure, but many surmise that the, the church had grown to about 100 people or so. It was around 100. And, and the church in Philippi, Paul loved the church there. It was like his family. So as we read Philippians, we're going to see that there's a very familial feel to it. He loved them. They, they loved him. They supported him through prayer and financial giving throughout his ministry. 
And really, one of the reasons why he's writing this letter is they had just given him a large donation, a large gift to help support him. So he's writing this to say thank you. That's part of the reason. Another part is to give them an update on how he's doing. But he also knows what's going on there in the church in Philippi. They're beginning to, to really receive and experience an increase in persecution by people who are against the gospel, who oppose Christianity. And as a result, many are beginning to face a lack of being able to meet their own physical needs. Some are even facing poverty, which makes their gift so much more even generous, charitable, and sacrificial. He also knows that there's some false teaching that's trying to be brought into the church by some of the false teachers, Judaizers, who are really trying to cause the people to return to finding a righteousness in the old covenant, the old law, instead of a righteousness based in Christ. So Paul's refuting that. And to top it all off, there's fighting, there's disunity, there's a sense of really friction that's taking place, beginning to rise up there within the church. So Paul writes this to instruct, to, to warn, to exhort them, to continue to grow in holiness, keep growing in holiness, keep walking in humility, and keep living with joy. Those are three big buckets, three themes that we're going to see throughout this letter. We'll even see them mentioned briefly today in the first two verses. Keep growing in holiness, walking in humility, and living with joy. 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 It's a word we're going to see, both a verb and noun form, up to 14 times in this letter. It's central to it. But even more central to the letter than joy is the gospel. Jesus is all over these pages. He's in the middle, just like he is the rest of the scriptures. It's very Christ-centric. Really, the message that Paul is giving them is, keep your eyes up, keep your eyes on Jesus, and you'll be able to live with joy despite what may happen to you and what you may go through. That's the message. It's really what Paul and Silas demonstrated during their time there in prison after being beaten with rods. They remain joyful because there's joy in the name of Jesus. There's joy in the name of Jesus, there is. So this message that we're gonna see, and it's really the challenge for us today, is to keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. And I can't imagine how they felt when they received this letter. It's a message for us. Keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. So let's dig into those first two verses, if you would. Follow along in your scripture journal, beginning there in verse one. Really, this is a greeting, and it's a pretty standard greeting by the Apostle Paul, a standard one of that time, with a few twists, a few nuances that we'll talk about. Now, some of the observations I made in this, in this short passage, I notated some key connectives, like the words of, if, or excuse me, in, and from. Also notice some repetition that came after those connectives. Uh, one key repeated name, and it's the name Jesus. We see his name mentioned three times. Clearly, he's the focus of this letter. The Apostle Paul comes out of the gate making that clear. And we also see a couple titles that seem a little out of place, kind of interesting, overseers and deacons. We'll talk about that because this is the only place in all of Paul's letters where he mentions them in the opening. So we'll visit a little bit about that too. But check out verse one and look at how Paul begins. He says, Paul and Timothy. 
Clearly, like we said, Paul is the author of this letter, but he includes Timothy too. Really, right out of the gates as well, we see a sense of humility by the Apostle Paul. He's not interested in, 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 in really monopolizing all of the attention from the church in Philippi. He mentions Timothy. And the church there in Philippi, they love Timothy too. He's even really considered the Apostle Paul's spiritual son. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul refers to him as this, my true son in the faith. So it would have been really kind of odd had Paul not mentioned Timothy at the beginning of this letter, but yet it still shows a sense of humility. Not in it all for himself, not at all. And then the humility continues because he describes he and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Now, you may have heard of this before, but that word servants in Greek is the word doulos. It means to be a bondservant. It means to be a slave. You can see Paul's humble posture continue, which is no surprise, because walking with humility is central to Philippians, which that's not a surprise either, because if Jesus is all over these pages, humility is going to be included because he is humble. So when they are introduced as servants, as slaves of Jesus. This isn't being self-deprecating. It's not thinking less of themselves. It's actually, they're aligning themselves with the ways of Jesus. He's humble. He served. He knows what it is to serve. Humble. Because even when he knew his hour had come, he was going to depart planet Earth and be handed over to be crucified. After the final dinner with his disciples, what's the king do? What's Messiah do? He gets down on his knees and his hands and he starts washing 12 pairs of stinky feet. That's what he does, including the feet of the one who's going to betray him. That's humility. That's what it looks like to serve. That's what the king did. And then, he, and then he performed the ultimate act of service and humility. He gave himself up and he was crucified on the cross. That's what it looks like to serve. That's humility. And the word humility, the definition that we've used before, I think it's good, we're gonna use it again, kind of already indicated a little bit. It's not thinking less of yourself, oh no. Not, think, not downing yourself, not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. There's a difference there. It's thinking of yourself less. The opposite of that is pride. Thinking of yourself more than you should. They oppose one another, and we know something else about pride. Pride is what cometh before the fall. You heard that before? And it's true. We're all gonna get humbled. We can choose really to humble ourselves, or God will do the humbling. We'll be talking about that a little later as we study Philippians. You know, I heard kind of a funny story, at least I thought it was kind of funny. It was about a humble farmer. A humble farmer, he moved to a new city. It was an affluent, wealthy place, wealthy city. Shows up to church and turns out some of the people there are gossiping and making fun of him because he's a humble farmer. He doesn't have very nice clothes. He doesn't look like everybody else. He, his dress isn't as snappy, as stylish. His clothes are kind of wore out. And so after the service, the pastor comes up and talks to him about how he's dressed. Kind of challenged him a little bit. And the humble farmer says, well, what should I do, pastor? And the pastor says, why don't you go home this week and pray about it and see what the Lord says. So the humble farmer does that, shows up to church the next week, dressed the same way. Pastor comes up after the service and said, well, did you go and pray about it? And the farmer said, well, I did. And God told me to tell you, he doesn't have a lot to say because he's really never been invited into this church. 
Never been a big part of this church. I don't know the rest of the story how the pastor reacted after that. I believe Paul's teaching a lesson to the church in Philippi here, even with the introduction. It's a, it's a lesson for all of us, all churches. By just his introduction, by saying, Paul and Timothy, doulos, servants of Jesus. He does this in two other letters, Romans and Titus, and in both of those, after he says that, he also introduces himself as the apostle. But Philippians is the only letter where all he says about himself is that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. That's it. The lesson is this, always walk with humility. Always walk with humility. Pride cometh before the fall. Always model Jesus. Model the king and walk with humility because Paul's making this clear. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the king. And I believe part of the reason why he mentions overseers and deacons there at the end of verse one is for this reason. Overseers, also known as, as elders, help provide the spiritual direction and oversight of the church. I'd kind of throw staff in there at some level, pastors and others who help provide spiritual direction and oversight of the church. Then the next group that's mentioned there are deacons. They kind of deal with the business day-to-day -day operations of the church. But all of these people make up really the leadership of the church, and we have all of them at Faith E. And I think part of the reason Paul calls these groups out in verse one is this. Leaders should set a good example by being humble. You know, the first thing I look for when I hire somebody is by God's grace, I try to be discerning. And the first thing, most important thing I look for is humility. Gotta be humble, able to serve. That's kind of like a permission to play, permission to be on the team, you know what I mean? Gonna be interesting watching a big game today, see what kind of humility comes out in the players. I think there'll probably be some. You heard that term, being a servant leader? Okay, maybe just me. There's a few. It's thrown around a lot. You know, I, I, it's a reasonably good term, I think, servant leader, but I kind of, I think it's a little bit redundant. Here's why. You don't have any kind of leader other, one, other than one that knows how to serve. You don't need servant in front of it because there are no other kind of leaders, in my opinion. You gotta be able to, you gotta be able to serve. You see, look, when churches, they're gonna, when, when, then when they put somebody else on the throne besides Jesus, another leader, pastor, elder, gonna be problems. Because let me tell you something, we talk about it all the time, there's one head of the church, there's one king and his name is Jesus. And ain't nobody better than Jesus. Nobody's better than the master. So guess what, we should all be foot washers too. Should all be foot washers. Humble people willing to serve. That's the kind of leaders who are called to be in the church. I want to say something to all the men. Gals, you listen to for sure. This is really for the men. I don't care if you're in junior high, high school, college, career, whatever. You want to know what a real man looks like? What a real leader looks like? Get to know Jesus and model the king. Be a humble leader at school, at work, 
in your neighborhood, and most importantly, in your home by being willing to serve and wash feet. And part of that humility is knowing when to take a stand for those who are marginalized and oppressed. That's what real men look like because that's what the king did. We need more of them. We need more leaders like that. The Bible says in James 4, 6 that God opposes the proud. He opposes those who are full of pride, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Grace meaning God's goodness to those who don't deserve it. Opposes those who think too much of themselves, but he gives grace not to those who think less, but who think of themselves less. We'll talk a little bit more about that word grace. We'll see it in verse two. Because after Paul introduces he and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus, he goes on and we see who he is addressing. Right after that in verse one, he says to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Went from of Christ Jesus now to in Christ Jesus. And we already talked about how this letter is being written to those Christians, that church in Philippi. So I want to talk about that word holy. We see that a lot, holy. We say it, holy. What's that mean? Well, holy means, another, another way to say it is saint. Some translations use saint instead of holy. And it means to be set apart. And it could be tempting to read that and think, okay, to all God's holy people and stop right there and just think, well, this isn't to me. <laughs> no, I'm not set apart. I'm not holy and I'm certainly not a saint. And you'd be right. None of us are all on our own. But in Christ Jesus, we are God's holy people. In Christ Jesus, we are holy. And being holy is not optional. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. We should live, live differently, look differently than the rest of the world. We're either going to be God's holy people or we're not going to be. There's no in between. One foot in, one foot out. There's no half and half in holiness. And although holiness is not optional, it's unattainable on our own. But it's attainable in Christ Jesus. Although it's required, it's out of reach on our own, but it's within reach in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. I want to slow down right now because this is a big deal. This is huge. There's no other religion in the entire world that can make the claims that Christianity makes because Christianity is true. And here's the claim it makes, and it's true, that we can't do anything to make ourselves holy. We can't because it's already been done for us in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we, by the grace of God, place our faith in him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we are made one spiritually with Jesus. That's the claim of Christianity, and it's true. Because we who were once dead are now made alive in Christ. We receive the very spirit of Christ in us. We're a new creation counted now as sons and daughters of the living God. That, my friends, is what Jesus has done for us. And you know what that's called when you think about it? That's humbling. That's humbling humility to think that the king left his throne room, God put on skin, and he became a servant. And he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. 
so that now we can be counted as God's holy people. That's what he's done for us. And when you think about that, that's humbling. And the more that we keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus by spending time in God's word, in prayer, in God's word, both on our own in the context of community, like Pastor Steve mentioned earlier, the more time we spend in that, we're gonna get a hold of, we're gonna experience the overwhelming, unending love of Jesus and God. It's gonna fill us and it's gonna, it's gonna naturally produce in us and cause us to go to a place of submission, surrender, gratefulness, worship, humility. And the more we're in that posture, that humble posture, surrendered to Jesus as king, the more we're filled with his very spirit in us. And it's his spirit that drives us to holiness. It's the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that allows us and helps us in holy living. You see, holiness is being overwhelmed by the love of God in Christ Jesus. Holiness is Christ in us. And you know where it all starts? Humility. Humility. Recognizing we need a savior. It starts with humility. Are you with me? This is where holiness and humility are inseparable. I don't want you to miss this. There's a quote from a, from a theologian, a missionary from Scotland. He, he uh, served in the 1800s, and he had a quote around this, and I thought it was pretty good. It's in your worship guide. He said, humility is the bloom and beauty of holiness. I've heard it dif- you know, different than that. I've heard it put differently. Another way that I've heard is that holiness grows in the soil of a humble heart. And I think this helps us really understand holiness because it might be a bit of a tripping hazard sometimes for us when we think about the word holiness. And we kind of think, eh, it's just checking off the boxes. Trying to do everything right and follow all the rules all on our own power. That's not just what holiness is. You've heard that, you probably heard that little comment. Holier than now, you ever heard that one? People who say that about themselves or others, that's the opposite of holiness because holiness isn't just about sin management, it's about a relationship with the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what it is. And like any relationship, sometimes we don't get it all right, we mess up, and we gotta say we're sorry. That's why as a follower of Jesus, we should have a rhythm of repentance in our life, not afraid to say we're sorry and mean it and turn away from what we're saying sorry for. But you know what that takes? Say it out loud. You know what that takes? Yeah, doesn't it? Another good quote that I heard from Mother Teresa, and I thought this was pretty good too. She said this about holiness. Our progress in holiness depends on God and ourselves, on God's grace, and on our will to be holy. You see, God doesn't force holiness on us, no. He doesn't. We can decide how much we allow Jesus to make us holy. You know, sin management All on our own just never works. Might for a little while, but then the apple, that thing we gotta have comes before our eye and we fall back into that pattern of sin, feel bad, shame in the cycle, ba-bump, 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 continues. Sin, shame, but there's a person who breaks and his name is Jesus. 
It's not about legalism tied to rules. It's about new life in Christ. And the more we invest in our relationship and love of Jesus, the things of this world grow more dim and dim and become less important because we experience God's best for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And oh, that's where it is so freeing. We breathe the fresh air again. Following Jesus is an adventure. It's life. It's real. It's good. It's stinking awesome. Can I say that? Following Jesus, investing in that relationship, being filled with his love and experiencing that, that's the place where we find peace and shalom when the rest of the world is trembling around us. That's where we find joy, no matter the circumstances. You know, I uh, was talking to a mom not long ago, and she was telling me about several months ago, she was playing Caleb in her kitchen, and she was doing something. She turned around and she saw her three or four year old boy sitting in the seat with his hands raised to heaven, worshiping God, a three or four year old boy. And I can just picture him with his little hands extended to his father in heaven, basking in his love, full of joy. The lessons we can learn from the faith of a child and the joy that they live with. Keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, growing in holiness, walking in humility, and living with joy, that's where that leads. Joy, knowing that God, we serve an unshakable God who keeps his promises. Joy, no matter the circumstances, because we can trust that God's gonna give us all we need. Joy, because we have hope as citizens of an eternal heaven. Joy. We can live with no matter the circumstances and when we do, we exemplify the kingdom of God. Joy that comes from the grace and peace that's mentioned in verse two. It's all made possible by the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I said earlier, grace is God's goodness really poured out on those who don't deserve it, us. And peace is what we experience when we by faith Accept the gift of God's grace in Jesus. Grace is the gift. Peace is the blessing. And living with joy is the result. And welcome to our study of Philippians. That's the intro. It's gonna be good. Welcome to this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. I can't imagine how they felt. It must have meant so much to them. You know, I have a letter that I received myself. It's kind of old now, 22 years old. Not as old as the Civil War letter, obviously. But it was written by my wife, Janet. And we'll celebrate 25 years of marriage this year. And this was at a time I was rolling into work like I said, 22 years ago, and things weren't perfect at work. We'd been married three years and things weren't perfect in our marriage. It turned out I still had a lot of learning what it meant to be a husband and a man. Still learning. So we were hitting some bumpy times. And I roll in, sit down at my desk, and I've got my planner with me. And by the way, I still use this planner today. I still use paper planner. So don't be mocking me. But I sit down at my desk and I open my planner. 
And in it's a note from my wife. Kind of a bit of a love letter, so most of it's from my eyes only. But just the fact that she wrote it, that's what grace looks like. And so I want to read the final paragraph or so, and here's what she said. And by the way, to throw in the mix, we were expecting our first child too, and all the stress that comes with that. She said, you're going to be the greatest dad. Our baby's going to love having you as a father. Paul, I pray for you that you will continue to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that God will continue to use you at your work and with the youth. God has a purpose for you and has gifted you with a heart to share the gospel. Remember, you can show others Jesus through both words and action. Keep running the race to win the prize. Love always, Janet. I still keep this in my planner that I use today. I treasure it. It's a treasure, and it's a reminder to keep running the race to win the prize. I need that reminder. The letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, like the rest of the scriptures, it's a treasure. And in it, there's reminders. There's reminders like stand firm. There's reminders to press on. And we'll see a reminder in Philippians that says this, to run the race to win the prize for which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. We do that by running the race with our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. Let's pray. You may be here today and you've been trying to follow the rules, do all the right things, all on your own, and it ain't working so well for you because you've never had a relationship with Christ Jesus. You may be here today and you've been living far from God. You've been eating out of garbage cans and dumpsters instead of dining at the buffet table that God offers. And perhaps today God's opening your heart to the gospel. You're ready to receive him by placing your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, you can take that first step right now. It begins with humility. You just say, Jesus, I believe, and Jesus, I am sorry. Just tell him you're sorry. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and I believe what you did for me. I need a Savior. And thank him for dying on the cross, because that's what he did. He took the punishment we deserve. That's tremendous grace. Thank him for that. Then finally, just say, Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I surrender. I surrender to you as my king. And if you prayed that, if God opened your heart to the gospel today, would you just slip up your hand, make eye contact with me, not gonna embarrass you. Just wanna thank God for you. Yeah, I saw you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Most important decision you'll ever make, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm celebrating with you. The angels in heaven are celebrating too. I want you to know that. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome. For those who just prayed that, and this is for everyone else, as followers of Jesus, no longer how long you've been a follower of Jesus, I wanna remind you of something right now. 
As a follower of Jesus, you're a new creation in Christ. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your shame you might carry. You're not defined by what happened to you. You've been given a new creation. You're a new creation, a new identity. Counted now sons and daughters of the living God because of what Jesus has done for you. I know we took a moment earlier in the service, but would you thank him right now? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for, God, how you are in the business of saving people, and we rejoice because you're doing that now. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple quick things before you leave. If you need prayer, I'm always available up front. Once again, don't forget Fan Zone that's taking place. It's going to be a great family time. A lot of new people. It's cool to be part of a church that's growing. Let's get to know each other at the Fan Zone. And also, a couple challenges this week. First, there, you'll see on page six, I believe, the scripture journal, there's a gratuity list, a gratitude list. Take some time to start filling that out because when we're reminded of all the things that we can be thankful for, it helps really revive some of that joy in our life. Take time to begin doing that this week and also practice OIA on next week's passage, verses three through eight. Now could I ask you to stand? You know, in the spirit of letter writing, I wrote all y'all a letter. So would you take that little envelope that was in the worship guide? You can open it now. Let's hear lots of envelopes being tore open. Hopefully you didn't already do it and you followed the instructions. Do not open. But would you get that letter? This is a letter from me. And it's, I'm gonna tell you right now before you even look at it, it's no love letter from me, so you don't have to worry about that. But this is my hope. This is my prayer for us at Faithy as we study Philippians together. And so let me read that over you now. I pray that we love God more as we study Philippians together and that his love would grow us in holiness. I pray that we never become a bunch of whiners and complainers, but instead we live in a way that reflects his love as we stand firm on the word of God. And may his love flow through us and help us love others as we walk in humility. Let us follow the example of Jesus Christ by placing a higher value on others than on ourselves. I pray that we are less concerned about what's in it for me and more concerned about other people's souls. Finally, may we share Jesus as we live with joy. Let us exemplify the kingdom of God by living with joy in the good times and the bad because we know that this world is just our temporary home. And instead of living in a state of worry, may we experience his peace even when it doesn't make sense because we can trust that the Lord is near and he hears our prayers. Let's fight the good fight. Let's finish the race. Let's keep the faith by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Go, stay strong in the grace of Jesus. Have a great week. Love you guys. See you at the fan zone.